Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Onward, featuring the voices of Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer. Story and screenplay by, get ready for this, Matt, because every Pixar movie has about six screenwriters. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Scanlon, Jason Headley, and Keith Bunnan, and directed by Dan Scanlon. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to start a new film review cask and a first for us. I can't believe we haven't covered one of these movies in the first 100, but... We got a first, and it's our first animated film, and it's an animated film from the granddaddy of animation studios right now, which is Pixar Animation Studios. They're probably the <laughs> the varsity level of animation in Hollywood right now. For me, this was the last theatrical release that I saw. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that that was released, and now we're covering it in the show because I guess it's the most contemporary thing I have to talk about in a theatrical way. Yeah, definitely. But what a strange kind of position. Well, there's two of them, and we're going to build up to the next one that was released also on Christmas Day along with Wonder Woman 84. But it'll be fun to just talk about this studio, about how animated films work a little bit differently than traditional live action. I mean, I think there's a lot of things to talk about there. But new bottle, new cask, uh, returning to the High West Whiskey. This is their double rye. Uh... We've had the High West uh, American Prairie Bourbon. We did yeah. the High West uh, Yippie Kaye when we did Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, can't necessarily remember if we did Double Rye, but good thing we have our whiskey journal because now we can document it. <laughs> That's right. No Cheers. more mistakes. Cheers, Cheers to you. Mm. How would you describe a rye to the listeners if someone's, you know, Looking for a rye whiskey, how would you best describe it? In comparison to bourbon or just in general? Yeah, just in general. Oh, boy. Um, I always compare rye as definitely going to hit you a little harder than a typical bourbon. There's always some peppery notes that almost kind of burn a little bit, if that makes sense. Like every rye has that type of note to it. But this one, this is a very smooth rye. I really like this one. Well, that's what I was going to say is this one doesn't seem to be like the couple of other ryes we've tried. We haven't we haven't done this. I've never tried this before. This is actually pretty smooth. And if I didn't know better and you took this off, I probably would say this is a bourbon. Really? It's very it's that sweet for me. Mm-hmm. And it's real smooth at the beginning. There's that little bit of spice or pepper you're talking about at the end for me. But brief, this is a really smooth drink in bourbon. What was the rye? What was the last rye we had? Because I think maybe we said the same thing for that one too. Um, was it the basil? It might have been, yeah, the basil Hayden's, which was definitely a sweeter one. That was almost like a wine tasting rye, which was interesting. Was I, that a rye that was fermented or stored in a bur- It was a, a double rye. Uh, I don't think they, wine I don't think they did that one in cast. It just reminded me of wine. It was a darker red color and it was almost a little sweeter. I much preferred this actually. Man, the front end on that is very distinct and i want to say sweet corn mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> buying that i know i do like like i said that's a very if you're looking for a smooth kind of rye that's not going to like attack you on the front and the back end high west is is a good one to go with i like their bottle too there's something just like 
overly like Western about the way that they present their whiskey, their whiskey. Well, we should fire up the campfire here next to us and tell some tales of yore as we spin a yarn. Excellent. Let's, let's dive right into our flight question. start yeah yeah those had, that had a nice little score in there these scores in these pixar films are always very grandiose but then mm-hmm. somber when they need to be like they have that nailed down like pats so. let me ask you a question that's yeah. a space that i think you spend more time in it mentally than i do okay when you watch a pixar animated film not the musical like singing part if it's a singing movie but like the score mm-hmm. do you notice it more in an animated film than compared to a normal film uh, I think I notice it less, actually. Really? Because uh, I think the visuals are just so powerful and overwhelming when you're watching animated because there's just so much on the screen that unless the score sticks out considerably, I won't remember it. Though, honestly, other than like Coco and The Incredibles, I can't really hum you the theme of any of the other Pixar movies, if that makes sense. Perfect sense. You're right. Uh, but uh, those ones in particular... and. We, we'll have to talk about The Incredibles one of these days because that's almost like a James Bond score to that that film, which is interesting to me. Yeah, that's right. It is. Why don't you hit us with the flight question this week? One of the things that comes up in the discussion that I hear a lot with Pixar films is, although that's a child's movie, there are some adult elements in there that will keep the non-child watcher entertained. So I thought we'd take a deep dive into that. And so for this week, the flight question then would be, in the spectrum of Pixar films that you've seen, what are your three favorite adult themes in that that library of film? Okay. So and it can be anything. So I'm not we're not gonna use this one, but an example would be like in Toy Story Four, the gang mafia element that's or is that's three, I guess. Number that's three. Mafia element in that one. I'm not gonna use that one, you're not either, but that's a kid's movie and that bear. Yeah. Lots, is, lots of hugging bear <laughs> is running a, a cartel. Yeah. So that's where we're going with this. That sounds good. Why don't you start us off? Actually. We'll do number one for me. Not number three for me. This is a little tough because I think depending on the time, any one of these could have bounced from positions one to three, mm-hmm. but I'm going to start with up. Okay. The theme that I take away from that, and look, everyone that's seen that film knows that there's a serious tone to it, but it's that loss of loved one in the latter stages of life Mm -hmm. and what's left. Because mostly it plays on a theme of the empty nest syndrome, and the movie would propose this answer, which is nothing Mm -hmm. if not for the kind nature of neighbors. Mm Mm-hmm. That old man in that film is such a tragic character. And I know that children can appreciate what he's going through, but I think that's more suited for an adult understanding than, say, marketed 10-year-old audience for a Pixar film. Mm-hmm. So that's my number three. That's a good choice. You uh, like that film? Up? Yeah, okay, hang on. Okay, so here we go. The opening 10 minutes of Up is better than most Pixar films. Okay. It's a killer opening. And I don't 
think the rest of the movie actually can live up to how good it is. You know what I mean? Sure. It's not terrible, but it's not one I, I go back to frequently, but everything that you're saying, those themes of having to move on once a loved one's passed, very evident in that opening scene. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they hit you hard and then you have to kind of live with it for the rest of the film. Great choice. Thanks. Let's hear your number three. My number three, uh, the adult theme I will be talking about is disability, and that'll be in the form of Finding Dory. Uh, Finding Dory was one of those sequels that took a long time to get to the screen, I think almost 15, uh, 10, 12 years. And when I was watching it, you know, being that, you know me, Matt, you know, that's kind of like my area of work. So it's something a little personal to me. And I was just kind of picking up on all of these characters that they had, whether it was a cognitive disability or hearing all the characters, there's like a whole zoo. uh, Yeah. There's a whole zoo um, aquarium element in there and everyone's kind of got their own disability that they're compensating with. And I thought Pixar handled that very well and appropriately. I mean, that could, that could have gone so south so quickly, but I thought they handled it with some, with some nice grace and kind of a lesson of just acceptance of, you know, people that have physical cognitive challenges in a movie, <laughs> finding Dory, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you find them in these in these kids' movies and the kids go there for the laughs and the visual stimulation. But when you're sitting there like, wow, they're doing a lot more here than just doing that. You know what I mean? Um, I'd like to say that I do, but I don't. I'm going to take your word for it because I haven't seen that film. <clears throat> but um, handling something with a delicate nature yet informative but not heavy handed is quite an art. Mm-hmm. Sounds like they delivered in spades. Yeah. For it to make your list in that, especially in an area that you're very familiar with is quite something. Number two, number two. Uh, okay. I guess I got to finally make my decision here. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with toy story four. Okay. And the theme that that movie left me with particularly was the idea of retirement. When I look back at sad, sad viewing experiences for me as a child, (laughs) the magic dragon is always the first one that comes to mind. (laughs) I hated that show. Mm -hmm. That was 30 minutes or an hour of just absolute misery at the end. Like I would cry like a baby, literally. Yeah. But what it's, what it's recognizing in its own way to a lesser degree is what I think this film does really well. Mm -hmm. At some point that journey is over. Yeah. And Woody coming to that realization is a tough and bitter pill to swallow. And he fights it for every bit of himself in there. Mm -hmm. They do give him some grace and what he kind of goes off into the sunset with. But for um, a theme that's been coming in certain degrees, really since the first film. Yeah. Acknowledging like at some point I'm not going to be a toy for people anymore because they just outgrow me. Mm Mm-hmm is really applicable to the workplace as well. Yeah. There's a lot of labor on my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to play in the next one too. Good choice. So I think that's what I'm going to go with. Like that movie really left me grateful mm-hmm. and appreciative of the work that's done, but then also cognizant that there's a finality to it, Jesse. And oh, yeah, all good things come knocking to an, on the door, man. come to an end. Yeah. I'm actually going to kind of piggyback on yours a little bit with another entry from that franchise, uh, Toy Story 2, the theme I want to talk about, retirement's a much better word. I'm going to use the word abandonment. Mm. Uh, 
Toy Story has always kind of played around with a lot of existential themes about, I mean, the first film's kind of like Blade Runner. Am I human or am I not? Am I a toy with a conscience? And Buzz kind of flies off and busts his arm. Like he has this like crisis of conflict at that moment. But in the second one, there's that whole montage that'll just wreck you to the core when Jesse the cowgirl kind of goes through her. She's like, it hasn't happened to you yet, Woody, but it's going to. And because it happened to me. And she goes through how she had, I can't even remember her owner's name, but loved her. And then she ends up in a dump pile at the end as they played this horribly sad song. So they're kind of getting you ready for like, or her character in particular is like, it's better to go where we're going to be on display in, in Japan at the for this toy thing as antiques than to be abandoned like I was. So... I think each movie in that uh, series is kind of building up to that. And for a kid, I was about maybe 10 when that came out. So I'm kind of getting a little older, but to put the bug in my head of like, man, you're already telling me that, okay, these toys have a conscience and that they exist when I'm not looking, but then they have, they have this sense of abandonment when they're not being played with is just kind of like, that kind of wrecked me a little bit when I saw it. So that question, which you're speaking to in my mind is what did it all mean mm -hmm. is a really really rough question isn't it because mm -hmm. i don't know if you can answer it yourself but if the others around you that have been through the experience give you an answer and it's not to the level or the gravity that you want it to be where do you go it's a great series of movies it might be one of the best four-part series of of all time like all four of them are just so solid good choice number one it's a bug's life and it's the function of labor in a free market economy through supply and demand. Mm -hmm. There's no way on the planet that most kids see the economic functionality in that. No way. <laughs> but that movie is all about who are you working for and what are the benefits and risk and reward and entrepreneurship and oppression. There's so many themes that are timely and important, I think, to understand as a spectrum <clears throat> of decisions that you make that literally, and this movie is this every society in order to sustain itself has to answer three questions, Jesse, how to produce, what to produce and for whom to produce. Mm -hmm. It's as basic as economics as the fundamental problem, which is scarcity, mm -hmm. which ties into that. That's that movie. Yeah. It literally is the answer to those three questions. And I don't really think that movie was received really, really well. It was okay. I don't think people say that's an amazing film. And I don't even know if I would say that, but I do appreciate that they attempted that theme in that particular film. That, that one's like a, that's like a dark horse, like Pixar entry for me. Like I, I, I like it, but it's, it's tackling a lot of really heavy material <laughs> Yeah, for their second film, which Toy Story was first. That one was number two for them. So, I mean, simple enough for a kid is don't be lazy. <laughs> I guess that does an adequate job, but mostly it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Cause then the other question is, well, what are you working for? And then your villain's Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Boy, how appropriate. I love it. Thank you. I'm glad you included that one because no one talks about the bu a bug's life. You know what I mean? Like it kind of gets like swept under the rug and I don't, I don't think it really should. Until just now, I didn't even snap or remember that that was film two in there. Film two, yeah. Legacy mm -hmm. about that. Okay, I'm dying for your number one. Lay it on me. All right. Precursor. Mm -hmm. Matt, you know I, how much I love The Watchmen. Uh, just the, the graphic novel and kind of how important that is for adult-oriented comicdom. I kind of even like the Zack Snyder movie, and I can't believe I just said that sentence. Yeah. But 
the Watchmen story is not the best that's ever been done. It's actually the Incredibles is kind of the same story. So the wow. theme, I'm going to do two, three here. Okay. Authority versus conform, uh, conformity, mm. which is they essentially have to do the same thing. They say, we're going to outlaw capes. You can't do this anymore. So what do you have to do? You have to get a nine to five job. You have to fall to the rigmarole of everyday life. Going to start a family. I mean, Bob in that film, uh, just working a monotonous job that he hates, wants to do the super thing, but you know they're, they're told that they, they they can't do that. It's just like the Watchmen. It's just like we outlawed capes. You can't do it anymore. So the conflict of that film is the will they, won't they, and when will it be okay for them to do when shit hits the fan? Mm-hmm. And then that's my number number three, which is obsession. Matt, I left out a, a villain in our uh, Electro uh, Barbara Barbara Minerva thing, and it's from The Incredibles, and it's a, a Syndrome, mm-hmm. voiced by Jason Lee. He's the same thing, but I think they handle him a little bit better because they approach him from a kid's perspective. And, like, what if, like, you were so spited by your hero as a youngster, like, where are you going to take that? And he takes it to obsession to the to an 11 to become this arch nemesis of, of his hero. Like, I think that's pretty cool. That's a cool way into it uh, versus like whatever Max Dillon's doing in the amazing Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man forgot my birthday. Mm-hmm. And that's all in a superhero. It's the best Fantastic Four film that the Fantastic Four aren't even in. It's the best Watchmen film that isn't the Watchmen. I mean, it's that's a Pixar film that, handles all of those themes and ideas better than the source material that it's borrowing from. So great answer. Yeah. That might be my favorite flight answer from you ever. That's there's a reason that's my favorite of all the Pixar movies. I mean, I was blown away when I saw that in 2004. Is that in your top 30 of all time? Those are some pretty heavy themes that you just identified. I definitely think so. It's, it's, it's my favorite Pixar. And then, you know, I'm a Bond guy too. So when I was there and I was like, yeah, this guy's like a James Bond, like the, the plot's kind of a Bond villain tone. The music sounds like Bond music. That Incredicoaster is pretty awesome too. (laughs) Well, with the backdrop of economics and conformity and obsession, let's jump into Onward. Let's do it. Away we go. Cheers. I love your choices. Cheers too. Cheers. I'm just, you know, making a toast. I'm serious, Farley. You need to start thinking less about the past and more about your future. Uh, She's right. You can't spend all day playing your board game. Quests of Yore isn't just a board game. It's an historically based role-playing scenario. Did you know in the old days, centaurs could run 70 miles an hour? I own a vehicle. Don't need to run. <laughs> well, Ian, you could definitely learn a lot from quests of yore. You want to play? I don't. You could be a crafty rogue or... Ooh, I know. You can be a wizard. I shall cast a spell on thee. Hey, careful of Dad's sweatshirt. I don't even remember Dad wearing that sweatshirt. Well, you do only have like two memories of him. No, I've got three. I remember his beard was scratchy, he had a goofy laugh, and I used to play... Drums on, on his feet. feet. Right. I used to go... Bum, bum, and I'm, bum. Whoa! <laughs> So let's set the scene. So the thing that's wholly uniquely Pixar about any of their films is the world that they give us right from the beginning, whether it's Monsters, Inc. or Coco or even Toy Story, the perspective of the toys. This film does that, too. And Nemo. I don't, yeah, yeah, Under the Sea. 
I don't think they give this place a name, but it's essentially just kind of take Dungeons and Dragons and the lore and the mythos of what that game involves is essentially this world. I think eventually it's Mushroom Ton or something. Oh, like there that. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Okay. That is that is right. Yep. But you're right. This is a suburbia populated by creatures from fantasy and the origins that lie within. Centaurs, elves. Manticores, whatever a manticore yeah. is. Orcs. Lig- sure, is there a liger in it? I'm sure there's some orcs and stuff in there. But in this kind of opening montage that's kind of establishing the world for us, you know, it's it's a place that was established on magic. Uh, they, you know, they built all their, you know, everything around the concept of magic. And then slowly but surely as technology kind of sneaks its way into into society, they lose pieces of that magic. Well, have become civilized, right? There you go. So are we talking about a Western in this? Maybe. Yeah. I thought about that till just right now. But yeah, you're right around it. Elves centaurs, you name it, and fully in the middle of what school looks like for pre-teen to post-teen angst. And you get this rollout of essentially a family that's a little bit made to order and so far as it's been kind of pieced back together because dad, we're going to find out later, isn't around through some, I think, undiagnosed or undescribed malady that took him out Mm -hmm. and you get the story of like these two boys that are elves that are brothers ian and barley great names (laughs) yeah and this road trip movie that they go into i i had to think back you know i think this is film 22 or 23 of their run so they're like same length as Marvel's universe, but it takes them like four years to make a movie. Yeah, the amount I was just thinking. So there's a scene coming up later in the film where they're, you know, they're driving up this mountain road and then they slingshot the van into this cliff to kind of you know create a barricade. And you know the way they were cutting it, and you know it's like maybe like a, a three second and then a cut and then three seconds and then a cut. And I was just thinking mentally, those three seconds I bet took at minimum probably about a week to fully render in a computer. You know what I mean? Like the time that it takes to get, and you got computers cranking and cranking and cranking. My favorite story, my favorite Pixar story is they were doing Toy Story 2 and uh, all kind of everyone's working independently on their own little units. And they had like a massive like server crash and they lost everything. Oh gosh. But there was a savable usable file on one of their employees who was editing from home who was on maternity leave and they had to use that was the only surviving anything wow so they had to take that and then build upon that like can you imagine like if they had lost it all no starting over on that would just be so arduous so i think that that's part of the art of why i think animation is just so interesting as as a medium the 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 time and effort that it takes to draw or digitally create a lot of these sequences there's a lot of time that goes into that what i really appreciate about this this opening act is if you're playing with these fantastical creatures it's really easy to jump the shark with anything that resembles some civilized element Mm -hmm. what they chose to do instead is civilize these characters and essentially this road trip that ian and barley are about to go on is a chance to reclaim what's been lost, which is a little bit of the savage through the most civilized piece of any society, the family unit, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a really kind of cool idea for me. 
And what I really truly appreciate is when we meet all of the characters that exist in Mushroomton, they're interesting enough to look into insofar as that's kind of like a centaur or a cyclops, mm-hmm. but they ground them in a reality that feels like your neighbor or my neighbor mm-hmm. at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And that then gives you something really interesting to look at, but you don't have to Game of Thrones it to some ridiculous 15, oh, yeah. you know, layers deep into the hierarchy of this kingdom. And all, like, it's, well, it's, it's, still it's feel, not work. It's not work. It feels familiar. Uh, yeah. The, well, whether it's uh, in the scene right after the one that takes place, I mean, Ian, it's his birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 16, sweet 16 <laughs> and uh, kind of a coming of age moment for him. And, you know, he's just trying to make his toast and he's getting disrupted and embarrassed and this and that. And he, you know, he decides to go off to just a little burger joint uh, to, he's like, I'm just going to pick up food on the way home. But like, even those aspects of like fast food, it's like, it's a thing within our society is a thing within their society. It's a great little nugget Easter. You see, this is why you can also rewatch Pixar movies a lot. Uh, there was a nice little Lord of the Rings tie uh, in there that says now serving second breakfast in that restaurant. Right. <laughs> so you can just pick up on those little nuggets. But in there, he meets a guy that actually knew his dad. And so dad is almost a myth in of itself in this, in the beginning of the story of, I, I grew up with your dad. He was, he was a cool guy and dad sweatshirt and this and that. And it's all these Memories that Ian doesn't have with with that, which essentially becomes the rest of the story, and and he's just struggling to fit in. They couldn't have cast a better voice actor than Tom Holland to play his character. I mean, it's he already is a little, and we're going to talk about this in the nightcap. Has like a cartoony voice. <laughs> That's no knock against him. Whether it's uh, how fast he speaks, his pantameter, he fits voice acting very well, mm-hmm. and especially the character that they that they're having him play. A much more likable version of Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, good. (laughs) So, Ian's going through a birthday that he wants to celebrate to not be forgotten, but he doesn't want the spotlight shined on him. And his birthday wish is pretty simple, and we're going to get it. Mom comes out of the attic with a staff, right? Mm -hmm. And this staff essentially is the magic lamp that grants one wish or imbues the staff wielder with the power to do any number of skills. And this is where the role of barley becomes really important. Mm-hmm. So as the guide or the sage advice to sort of pace the journey in this film, we get magic dungeons and dragon playing nerd. Did you ever play dungeons and dragons? Yeah. Did you? I did. I've never played not once. Yeah, I did. I couldn't tell you much about it. It's been a long, long time. But I think I liked it for a little while. Well, there's a lot of commitment when you like sit down to like play that game. I had a buddy that was all about it. And I think the key for that working out is having a really good dungeon master. I barely know what I'm talking about. So careful. Here. No, you're right. You know, they have to be creative because they set the stage. I got to tell you this story. And there's an art to that. Mm-hmm. Well, this is Magic the Gathering and Dungeons Dragons and every element of fantasy that barley has bought in entirely but here's what's different about that in our society if you got the kid that wears the cloak and pretends to cast spells you're just like okay that's this quirky dude or dudette in this world it's almost like the history Mm -hmm. of a time forgotten and that's what they're trying to reclaim with the dad is what's the history and the time that's been forgotten or lost yeah so barley serves a two like two purposes for me Mm mm-hmm 
one to keep the mysticism of Mushroomton grounded, but then also to dream a little bit too and adventure a little bit too, because Ian's pretty bare bones, down to earth, four hooves on the, on yeah, the ground, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. to himself. Do you like uh, Chris Pat, Pratt playing him? Yeah, I think he's just as good as Tom Holland. Is. He's, he's perfectly car- cast. cartoony as well. Yep. The film, you know, is kind of setting all this up and setting us up for this kind of grand quest. But before that happens, there's a very crucial scene that takes place, and it's this one. I think I've got it. I'm going to watch from over here. <laughs> Hi, Dad. Hello? Hello? It's me, Ian. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Did you have a good day? <laughs> well, I'm trying to. Yeah, me too. Although I could clearly use some help. <laughs> sure do wish I could spend the day with you sometime. I know. Well, there's so many things we could do. I bet it'd be really fun. Well, let's find out. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to. We could, uh... Okay. Bye. Yeah. Bye. You know what this reminds me of is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So we have this cassette tape that's essentially the last remnant memory of... Parent so to speak. Pixar's so good at like making it all quirky and light and jovial throughout the thing. And then they just like stop. They do a scene like that. They wreck you to your core and then they like, let's move on. You know what I mean? Like they're so good at it. Like I would just like the kitties in the theater. Like when, when these moments happen, they happen in every one of these movies. Mm-hmm. Just be like crying in their seats. You know what I mean? For sure. <laughs> How many times in film have we seen the message that is kept from the deceased by the loved one that then is used almost as a, as a plot device at this point, mm-hmm. Pixar somehow in their infinite wisdom found a way to take that same contrived plot device and make it better yeah. than anything that I can possibly think of right now that I've seen in film. Oh yeah. That scene is so heartfelt and sincere. I'm going to ask you a question. Mm. How many times has Ian done that? No, no, that's, that's kind of what I, what I get daily. So I think he's listened to it so much that I think he's, he's learned the, Mm-hmm. time spacing of this conversation, which is the only vocal remembrance of dad to have a conversation with him. This is the only way he can do that. So, you know, yeah, of course he's doing it every day. That's pretty rough. Yeah. But you get the importance <clears throat> and the loss that Ian is experiencing that dad's not around anymore. So practicing having a conversation, knowing that there's never going to be a change in the way it ends and that there's a finality to it. You know when he's having this conversation, he wants one of those answers to be different one time. Because you can't something you can't ask something that's not within the realm of what the recorded answer is. So even that's kind of a trap. You know what this movie is? I can't believe I'm gonna bring up this comparison. <laughs> so cause coming up is, you know, the mom, Laurel, is gonna give the 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 boys this staff with this Phoenix gem that grants a visitation spell, if you can do it right. I think dad got elf cancer or whatever years ago, knew he was going to die, wanted to leave something of something for his kids. And so enchanted this staff in this gym that when the time's right, when you come of age, we can have this together, so to speak. This is like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a movie with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman called My Life. (laughs) Yep. And yes. And they make the video diaries for the, for the baby. My favorite scene in that film is when he teaches him how to take the steps like Cary Grant. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of like what this is. It's right. it's kind of like a moment when you're old enough and able to kind of uh comprehend we can we can have this. 
And so then they go about it. And of course, it's got to take, you know, hilarious uh, uh, efforts to do so. hear us. What are you doing? So they bring dad back and he's just a pair of legs. Like the, the gem explodes before it can, you know, formalize him into a full bodied form. Do you appreciate the writing? No, oh, as much as I do, I appreciate the writing in most Pixar movies. Like they're they're, they're so cl- very clever on how they go about doing things. I'm going to make a statement later, not now, about that. Okay, but here's what's really good: following that scene, that's the very sad replaying of Dad's recorded message. <clears throat> you immediately play tragedy and comedy, which is so needed. You've got to break that tension because this is mostly designed for kids. So give half a body and legs without a top. Is funny. Isn't that the art of just Walt Disney in general? Like, they, they know how to tread the line between tragedy and comedy better than, I think, any film studio or any filmmakers. Whether it's Bambi and, like, Bambi's mom getting killed and then, like, you have these jovial cartoon characters. They know how to tread that line to teach you lessons, but then also to wheel it back. Because if you go too far in that direction, it's an entirely different movie. It's still for kids. You know what I mean? Right. That's clever. No, they're masters of that. That's 80 years of putting that formula together. And as much as that's for kids, I got to be honest, I was welcoming that break too. Mm-hmm. Thinking about my dad and, and things like, which yeah, that's why it works is that's infinitely relatable. We all have some loss, sadly, yeah. but you, I didn't go that to experience. I don't want to watch this movie to live through the loss. I want to laugh and, and enjoy it and, but isn't that a tribute to the writers and the filmmakers That's that just they, they know the parents are taking the kids. We're going to give stuff for the kids, but we're going to leave stuff in there for the adults too. You know? And it creates depth for the characters and buy-in and makes them likable. Mm-hmm. And for most animated films that I would mostly be checked out of, because I just don't like cartoons anymore. Mm-hmm. I, it sucks. I wish I could fix that. I can watch the X-Men, like the Saturday morning X-Men that used to be on. That's good stuff. Right. <laughs> But there's not a lot outside of that that I can't, yeah. except for Pixar. Yeah. Because of this, they have done a really good job of as simple as it is, we miss dad. They've made it, if I want it to be complex enough to find some thought and some work that's worthy of the time I'm going to put in. Well, there's a formula at place. I wish we had a chart. We could write it down. But like the formula is, let's give them a world that they've heard about, but they haven't seen like on screen before, so to speak. And then let's do this now. Yeah. Hold on. Not with this film, but let's, let's make a deal right now. Okay. You've brought up the Incredibles. Yeah. And we're going to do that. Even if we do, is it a shot or a one-off some night or or one, a one film cast? Oh, we, there's so many other Pixar movies we could talk about. We'll come back to it eventually. We can take that film and talk about the time lapse 
from tragedy to comedy in that and beat it out the way we did Ghostbusters, but oh, sure. focusing just on those oh, two things to good. see if there's a rhythm to it. That sounds good. I bet you there is. Yeah. I think Even with 15 screenwriters. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe that's the key. <laughs> Doesn't hurt. But sometimes. No, I think I think, yeah, let's establish a magical, unique world that looks good visually. Mm-hmm. Let's pepper it with characters that we're gonna humanize and give them pros and cons, flaws, uh, strengths, weaknesses. And then let's hit them with the ultimate lesson of, of what we're trying to learn. Like we have to overcome the loss of dad, and then we're given the opportunity to have time with dad. And then we go on the hero's quest. This is the Joseph Campbell's, the roots of storytelling to do that. And we're going to get into adventures and comedic stuff and then hopefully learn a lesson at the end of the day. And, you know, that's Disney in a nutshell. Like, you got to learn something from these films. (laughs) Right. (coughs) Which gets to that adult theme that we're talking about. Because the theme that this is the takeaway would have been in my list of three, but we don't allow ourselves to do that in the flight. You know what I really like about this kind of going forward? So they resurrect dad, kind of. And then <laughs> so the quest is, well, if we get another Phoenix gym, we can fully form him and we can spend a day with that. Is That's what the film is. Right. Uh, I love how they just invisible man this guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the best. Because <laughs> he's legs, but the top torso isn't filled. So he's just kind of like. A stuffed sweatshirt. All, all like like jangly and kind of like walking from scene to scene. It's hilarious. I love it. Especially there's a scene. The part of the highway. When he's dancing. Oh, oh my, my God. Yeah, like <laughs> and he's just like, and he's like, he's dancing terrible. Like, yeah, no, no. I, he really is. Yeah. But, but then it becomes the, like the, this journey and we got, you know, we got to get a map, you know, and like it's, it's all kind of tied into that. What do you think of this sequence when they go to? I'm just fascinated. I'm, I'm surprised Disneyland will probably make this a restaurant at some point. Oh, for sure. The Manticore Tavern. Love it. <laughs> it reminds me of Long John Silver. <laughs> right? I, this themed restaurant that's kind of this event that's, what do you, what do you call those? Um, where you go and you eat the Cornish hen and the Knights Joust. What the hell? Oh, Medieval Times. There you go. There you, yeah. Kind of a Medieval Times cheesiness to it. Mm-hmm. But here's the kicker. They have a mascot of a Manticore. Because the real manticore mm-hmm. is slinging hash browns to the people that came in to eat. And I love that because that manticore in the costume is so ridiculous. And I'm dying. This scene slays me. I'm rolling on the floor. I, I, I love it too. And um, this is played by Octavia Spencer. Yeah. Who is kind of just like the manager of this particular tavern. And and she's like, I have to answer to investors and this and that. And I can't give you that map. And you don't know what you're in for. And then just loses it. And I, I loved this scene. So what? Whoever said you have to take risks in life to have an adventure? Apparently, you did. There's a banner. <laughs> Table 32 said the mozzarella sticks are called. What have I done? Well, it's not too late. I mean, you could just give us the map. This place used to be dangerous. Dangerous. And wild. Wild. I used to be dangerous <laughs> and wild. Dangerous and wild. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living a lie. What have I become? Oh, no. So this manticore just torches the tavern, but it does an important thing. You know, the boys get their map to go on the rest of their journey. And this manticore so concerned about the journey that they're taking actually teams up with mom in bringing the boys back. Like, cause like mom's like, Oh gosh, like what are they doing? And then 
So you get like two paths going. It's the the you know the the adulting path, and then like the kids that are they have to go through this because this is a coming of age film. And I, I tried to think back um, to just Pixar's filmography, and I don't think Pixar to this point has done a, a film with like teenage aged characters before. I mean, I guess you could make the case a little bit that some of the princesses are around that age, maybe like Rapunzel and Tangled, but no, mostly you're right. Yeah. Um, so this is, but that's a fun space to play in because it's awkward and angsty. And here's Ian who I think it's a little bit more his movie than Barley's movie. It is. Yeah. But Barley's such a numbskull, (laughs) right? Is Guinevere styled van. And by the way, I have to say that I always wanted a van growing up that had like the carpet and all the cool stuff in the interior. So I can kind of relate to Barley in a space there. That's funny. I know my friends used to just kill me over that. I never got one, but when I, I wanted see, one. When I see those vans, I just like want to hear Rush. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I just like want them driving to Tom Sawyer. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And he's truly an embarrassment to Ian. Oh, he's going to tell him that later, yeah. <laughs> but... If we're going to play the quest archetype and do the Joseph Campbell thing, man, all the markers are in this Mm -hmm. film and we can get down to even the coloring and the choice that they use the green and the blues and the reds and all of the archetypal things that go around that. But mostly the characters are spot on from sacrificial scapegoat to Sage to the young um, pupil that goes on the quest. It's all there. Well, something unique starts to kind of happen here is where they're literally on a quest. Yeah, uh, Ian is really good with the, with the the scepter, this this oak thing, mm-hmm. and he knows how to summon the magic. Barley doesn't, but Barley knows the lore, and he knows how you need what you need to do to make it happen, so to speak. The so, odd couple. Yeah, so they're a team that have to work together to like make these things happen, and. And that fit, like, see how effortless what that was that you just described that? Mm-hmm. That is such a ringing endorsement to the people in the room that wrote this. That that happened, we lament over this from time to time, depending on the episode and the show that, or the movie that we do. Why is it such work to get to that? Like, I feel like we've said that a million times on the show. Mm-hmm. And this just happens so naturally because the brother that's about the yore and the magic he has the knowledge, but the other one has the ability. The problem is the one with the ability yeah. doesn't want any part of it because it's weird and it makes him stick out and he wants to just kind of hide in the shadows. And he's kind of scared too. And the other one that's so awkward has to stop being such a weirdo because he keeps scaring his little brother away because he's so over the top about it. There's a great sequence that we kind of kind of glossed over. We can't talk about every scene in the movie, but there's Ian's 16 and he's trying to get his driver's permit. Yeah. And they take him out onto the onto the freeway, and he's got to do like a triple lane change. Gosh, in midday traffic, <laughs> and he can't even like make one lane change, mm-hmm. and has to pull off on the on ramp because it's the next person's turn. So there's a timidness and a a scaredy cat nature to him, and I think he really owns up to it, uh, kind of coming up here. But before that, to kind of show these this odd couple, I like that you said that word, kind of teaming together. There's a scene that does that perfectly, and it's with the gas canister. <laughs> Don't let the magic spook you. Okay. Elbows. What? Elbows up. No, 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 no. It's too high. That's too high. I'm trying to focus here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Focus. Focus on the can. Focus. Focus. Holy stop it. It worked. <laughs> the can. 
Oh, no. What happened? Looks like you shrunk me. How? Well, if you mess up a spell, there are consequences. I only messed up because you wouldn't stop bothering me. I was trying to help you. Well, don't try to help me. Oh, okay, fine. I won't. Well, wow, wow, Dad, it's me. Dun, 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 dun. Whoa, Dad, it's okay. Don't worry. I'm going to fix this. So the other thing that's kind of happening in the middle of all this is Barley's, like, hell-bent on taking the shortcut. or The path of peril? Yeah, the path of peril. Whereas taking just like the obvious way <laughs> would probably be less perilous and get you there faster. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he's like, you always have to go through the path of peril. And they do, and it ends up kind of biting them uh, at, at at the end here. But I like this kind of this teamwork of the stance. You know, your arm's got to be up this way, and you got to do this to summon the magic. And like they, they need each other to, to, to make it happen. What did you think of coming up next, the... Pixie gang oh. are essentially the Hell's Angels. <laughs> Hilarious. It's pretty good. The Pixie Pixies eating pixie sticks. <laughs> bikers. Hellbent bikers. Um so after the gas station event, then they just decide to fill it up like the normal way. <laughs> they arrive at this gas station. Here's this gang of these pixies that are fully clad in spikes and leather and about two inches tall. And they are just raising hell everywhere that goes, which that is so absurd and meant to be done on purpose. However, everyone they come into contact with seems to be quite scared of them. <laughs> so they just unleash hell on this convenience store in this gas station. And if anybody looks at them, there's the front woman for the band, the band for the, the group of bikers. And it's quite funny because like everything else in this, she's all in and they found a way to take something as ridiculous as pixies or fairies and ground them in a semi-realistic way. Mm-hmm. I think that scene's real. Like this movie is really funny for me. Yeah, and all of this interplay between them is so absurd because as bad as the pixies are, they're not terrifying at all. They're the size of these glasses we're drinking out of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they sure talk a good game, and that the smack talk is brilliant dialogue. More writing. Great, great writing. What do you think of that? No, yeah, I, I, I like it. And then it kind of comes back to the scene I just talked about of the failed driving test. So now we're on the freeway again. Yeah. And in order to get to where we're going, you're going to have to make that triple, quadruple lane change while this gang of pixies is uh, is attacking you. And this is a test for Yanni. This is something he's got to do on his own because his brother's about this big, dad's legs. And then you have this pixie gang in the back that are like chaining up his arm. They're going to like rip his arm off and, and he does great. He succeeds and you know, they make it work and it's, it's a test along the way. I mean, if they're playing with something as fast and loose as magic dungeons and dragons, aren't there barricades and barriers that you must overcome on the way to the boon or to slay the dragon at the end? Like you got to like, solve this task and this task and this is that version it's just it's familiar to us because we drive on the freeway but in in their world it's this quest to get to something magical i love it it's it's, it's very well done so whether it's take the key from the frog's <clears throat> stomach or don't eat the food at the table with the creature that has the hands that become their eyes pan's labyrinth that takes the movie into such a fantastical realm that it borders a little bit silly but you know what the domestic version of that is? Mm. High-speed chase. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot of action sequences in this movie. Mm-hmm. And this is one. We're on this high-speed chase with these Hells Angels pixies on these motorcycles chasing down 
a kid who barely knows how to drive and it's illustrated brilliantly. Mm -hmm. Michael Bay could go to school on this. Because it's not so busy that you can't see what's going on. Michael Bay could go to a lot of schools, actually. You know what I mean, though? <laughs> you know, I do, yeah. If this if this is his auto chase, it's 15 rolling parts and used footage from film two and recycled into film three. You're so right. And this is just really simple and kind of entertaining. I'm not going to say white knuckling. That's a little bit far. This girl in a crop top that's just like her hair is blowing <laughs> in the wind. Yeah, <laughs> right. And again wildly entertaining well it's really funny because it's absurd that these hell's angel pixies are causing such a ruckus i'm gonna play another audio clip here but i have a question to ask you do you think any of whether it's this film or anything else from pixar's library do you think any of them could work as live action films or do you think they're just like very suited for this medium of because you said something that that I think makes them stand out, and it's the vibrancy with the colors. I mean, you just it's that's so hard to replicate. Like <sighs> from Ratatouille to Finding Nemo, mm-hmm. there's such an expanse of the 23 films in there. But here's what I'll tell you: each one of them looks unlike any other, and there's a distinct look to them. Mm-hmm. I guess I could say yes, it could, but. I'm going to hedge that bet a little bit by saying, I'm not sure I want. Yeah. Do you think, okay, so let's just do this movie. You mm-hmm. ask me, I'll give it back to you. Mm-hmm. If this movie's done as live action, it certainly could be. And you're probably replacing a lot of the drawn with CGI, mm-hmm. which is kind of drawn in its own way, but not. Mm-hmm. Does it enhance the experience? Probably not. I think so. I don't think so either. No, because because it is so fantastical. I mean, that is the benefit of a computer and like they can essentially summon up anything within this film. One of the things coming up uh, obstacle is this gelatinous cube that Barley keeps talking about. And they're able, they're able to create like, how do they do that? You know, like live action, you know what I mean? It's just a big jello mold. That's going to like swallow them all up. But again, balancing the seriousness and, and the comedic side of what they do so well. Harley, come on. This is all just... I'm not a screw-up. I didn't say you were. The magic said it for you. Well, the magic got it wrong. Magic doesn't get it wrong. The cop asked a question, you answered, and magic revealed the truth. Right? Right? I don't know how any of this stuff works. All I know is that everything we've done tonight has gone wrong. Yeah, it's gone wrong because you won't listen to me. Are you kidding? Because everything we've done has been your idea. But you didn't do it my way. You didn't let me handle the manicure. You freaked out when I talked to the sprites because you don't think I have good ideas. What? Of course I do. Great. Then I think we should take the path of peril. Man, I also think that would be good. Normally. See? But I told you, this isn't a game. All that matters today is Dad. And right now, he's sitting in that van and he's confused. What? What is he doing? I think he can feel the vibrations of the music, and he's dancing. Wow. He is terrible. Doesn't it sound like that should be Journey? (laughs) Oh, man, yeah. (laughs) These legs just dancing. It's hilarious. I love it. So these two are, like, having it out. You know, they're kind of able to see that sequence helps kind of get them back on focus on, like, what this is all about, which is, like, we got to recreate Dad so we can spend some time with him. Jesse, it's sibling rivalry with the highest stakes in the movie that have been presented. Mm -hmm. The time you have left with Dad, which is waning because the day is burning as they're trying to get the second, yeah, 
The second, yeah, was fill me up with more liquor there for everybody that's <laughs> not in here with us. Um, to get the second Phoenix crystal to bring dad back. And while we're dicking around with pixies and bikers and all of this other crap on the path of peril, mm-hmm. we're burning daylight literally. Yeah. Here it is though, again. Because it's 24 hours, right? Yeah. Pretty tense moment. And what do they do? Break that tension at an appropriate time. Let you get it and experience a little bit, but then break it with dad dancing. And you know how they fix the conflict between those two brothers? Yeah. How simple. Laughter. Because then genius. You, you go too dark. And Disney did this in the 80s. Like, you know, they, they called that the dark age for a reason. And they made films that like went there and they stayed there and they like... Sometimes, like, I like The Black Cauldron, but, like, man, that's a dark movie. That's a dark animated movie for Disney. Like, they didn't couldn't reel it back in. What's that movie? The Black Hole. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. Gosh, I haven't thought about that movie in probably 15, 20 years. Yeah, Slim Pickens is in that. And Roddy McDowell's the voice of the robot. <laughs> God, do you want to do the, the Black Hole well, someday? There's a whole, we could do a whole Disney live action thing because as good as they are at animation, they exceed sometimes. In the live action. Do you know I used to have black hole trading baseball cards? That's hilarious. Oh, how crazy. (laughs) Yeah, but the Dark Crystal talking about dark. Yeah, you had a a black hole trading cards to go with your Capricorn 1 trading cards. (laughs) That's right. Max von Sydow, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Matt, this is where the movie gets a little messy for me. I'll just be be honest with you. Don't. You're going to ruin it. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, go. The the quest to they they eventually take the, the the perilous path and it's like almost maybe one or two too many barriers in front like I already mentioned the one of having to explode the cliff to stop the the cops that are on their tail and then they get into the they kind of kind of do a last crusade walk of faith <laughs> against this like chasm. I want to talk about that when you're done, so we'll come back to that. But yeah, and then on to like the catacomb where like the artifact is supposed to be. And then the gelatinous cube, it was just a little too, just like a little too much. You know what I mean? Like, I think I had more fun when we were like still in the city. And when it got like more dungeons and dragons, yeah, I kind of tuned out a little bit, but then they're able to reel that in with the finale sequence of the movie, which I kind of got back into, but this little chunk of the film was a little, a little dicey for me. I love where you're at. You're right. Mm-hmm. When we did it, there was some differences in opinions. That, oh, but, was there? <laughs> but the one thing that we didn't disagree on was that Pennywise was in it too much. Sure. Like less would have been a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think we're bordering with that. And so I want to go back to the bridge of invisibility and trust you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. That's for me, the most fantastical and necessary piece that should be in this film. And the final piece until we get the dragon. It does seem like a final challenge before something. They arrive at this chasm canyon mm-hmm. and there's no way across other than casting essentially an invisible bridge that only exists as long as you believe that it's going to be there. And if you don't believe and you step and it's not there, you descend forever in the fit, the pit that has no bottom or whatever Barley calls it. You just fall forever. That's pretty terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Just falling forever. What's forever? And you're just falling. That sucks. <laughs> but it's the only way across. And it's the only way they can get dad back because the Phoenix crystal is somewhere on the other side. So we go through this trust between brothers and the rope that's tied on. And again, in that we run out of length of rope 
And Ian's trusting Barley because if he falls, he's got him anchored with rope and tethered so he can just yank it back up. The rope slips off the brother and he's walking like the training wheels are off. And that is done so well because we're all like, oh God, please don't snap that there's no rope. Please don't snap that there's no rope. Mm -hmm. And right as he gets to the edge, he sees there's no rope and he falls and catches himself on the ledge and the day is saved and they lower the drawbridge and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Here's where it's screwed up because I agree with you. Like I'm good with all that. And that's the least, or that should be the last big mystical moment we Mm -hmm. have. The final challenge. Jesse, they get on the other side, lower the drawbridge, and then they drive back across to where they just came from. Yeah. (laughs) So, and this is done through birds, some statue birds that are pointing the direction that they should go. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a miss. And this bird quest, these bird roadmap signposts, whatever you, directions are a little bit silly. And I don't know why we chose birds. There's a lot of things that it could have been, but like these birds pointing with their beaks, this, and all of the fantastical elements in this, either go with just a statue or a like something pointing, yeah, or pick something we've seen in the film. Mm-hmm. Birds? What's fantastical about a pigeon? Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Or a raven, or whatever that is. It's more like a raven <laughs> than it is a pigeon. Stone pigeons or stone ravens? I, I'm I'm out a little bit with you here on this one. But they reel it back in here for the finale, and it ends up kind of screwing them too because mm-hmm. it's this location that's across from the high school, <laughs> right? Like within like a drive away from their house. You know what I mean? So they could have. So Ian was so right, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He's like, if we just took this path, we could have... Well, I'll let, I'll let the character say it. Perfect. No. What? The gem is in the mountain. The mountain we could have been to hours ago if we just... If we just stayed on the expressway. No, the expressway is too obvious. You can never take the... Obvious- I hadn't listened to you, okay? I can't believe this. You act like you know what you're doing, but you don't have a clue, and, and that's because you are a screw-up. And now you've screwed up my chance to have the one thing I never had. Where are you going? To spend what little time we have left with Dad. Ian, wait. We can still find the Phoenix gem. We just have to keep looking. They have Dad, by the way, on a... A leash. A doggy leash. (laughs) Tethered. Yeah. So they can, they can kind of reel him in here, but you know these movies always come to this uh, scene where you just have to let the other character have it. Like you're a screw up, or if it's Toy Story, you tell brother like, you're not real, you're just a toy. Like there's nothing to you other than that function. Yeah. Like they always come to this kind of crisis moment. You know what I mean? Where like we're gonna turn characters against each other until they have that ultimate kind of revelation the resolution aspect and i think that's handled brilliantly here which is ian has kind of jotted this journal of these checklists of all these things he wants to do with dad which is take a walk and catch all these kind of things and when he's kind of going through it he's like well shit like i've been doing all these things already and he starts checking them off and then we get this nice sweet little montage of him and barley on this quest doing those things you know what i mean and then the flashbacks, too, to them growing up. And that he got to kind of have these moments already. So it's, I think, a very powerful moment where Ian, his arc kind of comes full circle where he realizes, I never had my time with Dad because Dad passed before I was even born. Um, 
Bartley's the closest thing I ever had to a father. And he kind of taught me all of these things along the way. And I just, I didn't realize it. I didn't see it from that perspective, which is ultimately what comes down for a lot of these Pixar characters. They didn't see it from a certain point of view. And when they change that camera <laughs> angle, they see it differently. And I like that. This is a good moment. And it's, and it's going to complete the film nicely. I guess I'm going to bring up the same point again. This is the third time now. We're a little bit upset at Barley at this point. Because mm-hmm. had they just gone on the highway the way Ian said, they could have saved, I don't know, 20 hours. Because they're down to about two now. And Dad isn't any closer to being fully formed than he was when the staff broke and they didn't get him more than his just legs. So they've done the path of peril and essentially it's just taken them in a circle back to the high school and they are no closer to finding the second Phoenix gym. And in that moment, when all Ian wants to do is just spend the last little bit of time that he has left with his father and complete his bucket list, all Barley can come up with is we got to keep looking for the gym. Like he's got nothing else. And I find myself a little bit frustrated with Barley in this. Mm-hmm. And then you just laid it out so perfectly. As Ian sits there and looks at the list of things that he wanted to do with his dad, he realizes that on this trip, he's done every one of them Mm -hmm. with who ended up being his dad, his brother biologically, but father figure because there was no one else there. Older brother became that. Mm -hmm. And instantly without doing a single thing with Barley, we quell that frustration and humanize both of them and get us back on board for team elf to find dad. (laughs) Right, because I mean, I find myself oh, yeah. at that moment like, God, Barley, I'm kind of pissed off at you right now. No, yeah, they br- they bring it, they bring it all back full circle. Because it's Ian's like, and the fact that it's Ian's birthday, it gives it more significance mm-hmm. for all the reasons that birthdays are supposed to be special to people, and almost <laughs> they're doing it in this film too. And Barley has wasted Ian's birthday in this ridiculous path of peril quest mm-hmm. that was more about finding the Phoenix Gem than it was anything else. But I want to walk back. Can I say one more thing and then go I'll ahead. give it back yeah, to you? Go ahead. You brought up Ian being scared Mm -hmm. through most of this film. And we're going to see him grow up and be less scared as the movie moves to this final showdown we're about to get to. The question is, why isn't Barley? And he lays it out in a really poignant moment in a very Barley way. So his dad was dying. Barley was supposed to say goodbye to dad. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Literally, right? Yeah. Do you think they did that on purpose? Same actor. You know know what 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 I'm saying? I don't know. They knew knew how to pull it off. Mm Mm-hmm. He goes in in this movie not to see mom, but see dad, but he doesn't because he's hooked up to all these tubes Mm -hmm. and it doesn't look like what he remembered dad to be. And so he doesn't say goodbye. Damn. Yeah, that's heavy. Regret on high. So he's, in a sense, stalled out at that point because growing up and maturing with the reality that you didn't say goodbye to your dad is a really tough pill to swallow. And I don't want Barley to have to do that. Mm -hmm. But he says a really important thing to Ian. He said, when I did that, I felt bad about it and I had regret. And I decided that day I was not going to be scared of anything anymore. And you can see Ian in the character, the way he's drawn kind of go like, man, is it really that simple? Mm -hmm. I guess I should try that. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're playing on this seesaw, this teetering back and forth with what Barley's significance and oafishness is. And the truth is he's actually a lot more grounded and fairly stable in his own way. But that own way is different because there's nowhere else for him to go. He didn't say goodbye to his dad, Jesse. And that's what this whole movie's about. So it had to have mattered. Yeah. Well, now when we get to this and he's trying to do right by his brother on his birthday, he can't because he doesn't know how. And you know who's got to fix that? Mm -hmm. Go run with it. Yeah. 
well, the film's going to set us up with a, a terrific finale uh, of how this is going to go. So, you know, Barley and this art, this monument has been set up earlier. I mean, he was chained to it, uh, protesting that they were going to come tear it down. And he's like, it's a significance and you can't tear it. And he's kind of having one of his moments. But it's the the gems at the, the tippy top of that. And as, yeah. he, as he gets it, it, it manifests, but it brings about this curse, which is something the Manticore warned them about. Mm-hmm. So it manifests into the... I love this element, too. It, like, it like forms with, like, parts of the pavement and the grass and parts of the school. And when it growls, it's the school bell. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. And the face is the painting of the mascot, the dragons. Yes. And, so clever. And so we have this, the, the Manticore and Mom show up, so we get kind of a nice battle, and she gets to have her moment of seizing adventure, seizing the carpe diem, and, mm-hmm. and, and helps them out. The Manticore's flown them there because the car broke down, so she's using her wings and mm-hmm. returned to the Savage. So everybody's almost finished with their journey, right? Almost, yeah. Almost, so as except soon as, Dad. Yeah, as soon as we defeat this foe dragon, we... um can use the bit of crystal to summon up dad for, I don't know, about a minute. Cause the sun's setting, like they're like on the precipice of this coast and they can see the sun setting and it's, it's almost there. So I love how I love the way they decided to do that. If this was Michael Bay, Michael Bay would have had us right up there in everyone's business. But instead we get to watch this scene play out when dad fully manifests between dad and barley up on the hill from Ian's perspective, who's actually kind of, barricaded within the rubble and he can't climb out so he just has to kind of watch it through this little peephole and this is again why animation works well when it works well is through the visual you're able to convey the message of what you're trying to do from a distance i mean they might be like like 200 feet away but just through body language and action you get it you know what i mean like it's enough and like any lesser filmmaker would have like sent us there we would have seen that conversation in a close-up or shot reverse shot but dan scanlon <laughs> to his credit and the writers they know how to make it even more impactful is to see it from the other character's perspective and uh and i think that's it's, it's a very powerful moment and when he kind of comes back down and says they kind of have a nice exchange these two brothers are able to make peace and kind of say the things that they've been wanting to say which is like you know, it's like I never had to do that because I had you. You know, like you were you were closer to dad than you know than dad ever was to me, and he likes what you're growing up into. It's it's I love the way this this movie ends. It should have ended right here. <laughs> yeah, I buy that too. Yeah. When they retrieve that second Phoenix gym, I guess we're happy that Barley did it, and maybe they can get the staff fired up. But the problem is, is as we've had the ticking time bomb in this film, essentially, right? We're running out of time from mm-hmm. the time they begin the quest. It's just about gone. And now this damn dragon shows up and it's going to screw everything up. So we've increased the stakes in the final showdown crisis, conflict resolution story beat wise. Mm-hmm. Again, another Testament to the writing and how well done that is in a very germane and original and way that makes sense for children, but also makes sense to the viewer because the face of the dragon is the painting of the mascot. It's perfect. But this is Ian's movie. And although it's his birthday, and the one wish he had was to be with dad, he recognizes that Barley had even less than that. And in fact, he has kind of been raised by his dad. Just a brother dad. Mm-hmm. It's the most kind and loving thing I think I've seen in film this year. Oh, yeah. 
totally sacrifices the final moments that he would have with his dad. And this is a one shot deal. Like there's no redos. It's a one time thing. Mm -hmm. Stuck behind some stones, unable to get to dad, at least barley. So he sacrifices his time so that barley can have what he didn't get because barley sacrificed his time to do, to raise Ian. That's quite lovely. Mm -hmm. And you're right. When dad fades away and Barley gets the stupid answer to what his wizard name was be, which is so monumental to Barley, but doesn't matter to anyone else. But it also doesn't matter to anyone else but Barley because it's his dad. Mm -hmm. Everybody's completed their quests in such a smart, finished way. Mm -hmm. Fade out, you're done. I know. We get a epilogue. but An epilogue of sorts, which is nice because it kind of, it ties it to the the prologue at the beginning, if you will, about how they've lost the magic and how through the events of this film, they've been able to see the importance of magic. So even, and I like how it's kind of just shown with one character actually. And that's uh Colt Bronco <laughs> mm-hmm. who he says, well, I have a car. I'll just drive around when he's the centaur. And he's like, he's like hair in the wind centaur. I'll run instead. Yeah. So even he's learned the lesson at the end of the day, yeah. but, um, I don't think it kind of goes into too much other than what we would have been able to perceive what happens. You know what I mean? And this stuff isn't terrible. It's a, it's a, a an extra bow that we didn't need. That's mm-hmm. fine. It's yeah. a kid's movie, probably necessary for kids, not ambiguous ending fan club guy one and two. I think most films, this is just me in general. I think most films overstay their welcome. Like, like I can pick the ending and then they like 10 more minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's the end of the film. And, um, no, it's it's. I'm glad we finally got around to talking about Pixar. I mean, they're they're just so unique. I mean, it's kind of fun for myself too. I mean, I remember going to see the first Toy Story film with my mom when it came out. You know what I mean? Like I've seen all of these movies in like the studio's lifespan. You know what I mean? And to kind of see the different ways and paths that they go. And there's just some that I do not like, and there's some that I'm like, yes, like I, I get it. Uh, I'm glad we're finally, you know, getting around to talking about some of them. They're such a unique film studio. That studio has the ability to do that with families better than anybody else. We talked about, I think, in the um, 100 review mm-hmm. past episode, and I brought up my daughter. So we watched it together last night. Pixar always has that on the table. It happened with you and your mom. It's family friendly, but not in a way where I have to endure <laughs> so that I don't miss the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that is a very special art. So I want to I want to do two things right now. Okay. First thing I want to do is I want to ask you a couple questions and I want to make that statement that I talked about at like the 25 minute mark or whatever okay. it was. <laughs> As a kid, yeah. what do you think? Because you said there's a lesson to be taken from each Pixar film. Mm-hmm. What's the takeaway lesson from this film for the movie? And then flight proper, what's the larger adult theme that you see in it for yourself? He's thinking. Yeah, what I what what I kind of kid take, one first. What is the kids? What's the kids takeaway first? Well, the kids. T- <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, the kids takeaway first is to seize adventure. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a grandiose, adventurous film. So, growing up into adulthood, you have to take these moments to seize unique opportunities. I think that's very prevalent there for the kids but then also to kind of be aware of what's what's around you the elements at play that you don't know are going to have an effect later so to speak 
that cousin, brother, parent, teacher. <laughs> yeah. You don't know the effect they're going to have on your life as you, as you go on. You know what I mean? Sure. If you're not paying attention. So I think that's pretty powerful. Uh, the overarching theme is, uh, for me, especially grown up, is it's all about time, man. Did Christopher Nolan write this movie too? It's just like, appreciate the time that you have. God, you're setting me up so well. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. God bless you. Go ahead. Appreciate your time. I love that. Because mm-hmm. it's gone, huh? Yeah. It's- it always, it always, I always have this ridiculous thing. I was like, uh, when it comes to Pink Floyd songs... Or when it comes to time and money, time is always better, even in Pink Floyd songs as well. <laughs> well said. <That's laughs> Maybe you don't need another brick in the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, Jesse. Nice. I love it. Strangely enough, I'm wondering now if my answer to that is the same for both. And this is the first Pixar film that I might make this case for. Again, just personal. Mm-hmm. As the kids take away, I think it's to appreciate what you have taken for granted. And as an adult, I think it's also the same thing. Yeah. The time that he took for granted with his dad when he had it is the adult thing. I look at Barley and I think like, man, rarely do you get a second chance. The time element that you addressed. But I think also for the kids, it's like my brother raised me. Mm -hmm. I should be appreciative of what I had, not what I didn't have. And isn't that gospel? That's a very hard lesson to learn. (sighs) As a kid, you know what I mean? Because whether through adolescence or adulthood, uh, uh, teenagehood into adulthood, like there's a time at at point where we're just assholes to our parents. It comes with the territory, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I sorry, think, mom I, and dad. I'm, know, so yeah, sorry. I'm sorry too. And there's things you don't even know about that I'm not, I never told you. So. you never will you. So, <laughs> uh, I think appreciating those moments in the moment mm-hmm. is the lesson to learn. And for those that have the opportunity to learn that lesson, all the power to you, because I think you'll appreciate life a whole lot more. A flipping man. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So I said you were going to set me up for the second one. This has happened a couple of times and I wanted to toast you earlier. Okay. There was a segue bit that went right into the sound where you said, let the characters do it. And it happened so organically. Like you're getting really good at this. man. <laughs> sound. Yeah. So good. Yeah. The Meister on the keys here. Awesome. Well done, Jesse. But here's the question. Okay. Nolan excluded. Is Pixar the safest bet for quality in the spec market going today? Oh, of course, yeah. Not even close. Well, they're huh? all specs, really. Right? They're just done in animated form. A space that's important to you and me, that it took this long to do Pixar, I'm ashamed right now because well, they don't miss. Even their bad films are still way better than a lot of the shit that we've done on this show. No, of course. Uh, no, I think when anyone sees the bouncy uh, lamb, <laughs> yeah. like they know what they're in for. I mean, and it's all spec. They've all established a sense of quality, I think, so like... Even when it's an original thing or a sequel, you know you're getting something of decent quality. If you're new and you have no idea what we're talking about, spec is not adapted original source material in the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Nolan and his cadre does it really well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Outside of him, it's it's not even a question. It's so obvious. Well, I want to talk about that. You know, we'll talk about it next week and and the final film that we'll be covering. But they, they just find a unique in on a world that we may have seen or haven't seen. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's like that like unique in that like buys us in 
And then like just how they layer it. I mean, there's the, for the adults, for the kids. I mean, they're smart. There's, they got a lot of smart people working there. And maybe the benefit of doing it through animation is it's cheaper because you don't have to build large set pieces that cost water world level spec ideas that suck. So you can do it cheaper. So maybe that's an advantage, but. And, and here's the, and here's the thing too, is they have just a cadre of a family of filmmakers. I mean, mm-hmm. bar John Lasseter's allegations, he's kind of out at Pixar right now, but like whether Why don't you break that down? What are we talking about here? <laughs> Skeeving on some people at oh. Pixar, but... Is he hanging out with Brian Singer? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Whether it's um, Scanlon or Lee Unkrich or um, Brad Bird, like they have a cadre of filmmakers that cross-pollinate. Like they'll do script rewrites on other projects. They'll produce some. They'll, they'll direct some. And you kind of see the same names pop up on a lot of these films. So I think they're all doctoring a lot of their projects, which is part of the quality. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I see... That's like saying like in the 70s, it's like, okay, like we have the studio that has Spielberg, Coppola, Scorsese, <laughs> and George Lucas, and they're all going to kind of help each other out on their projects. They would all be pretty good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> When I see a screenplay that's penned by four different people with ampersands and commas oh, I, and I the run. word end, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this is going to be, and it is every time except mm-hmm. here. And here's the, here's the thing I can't decode. Okay. We're not going to come to an answer now unless you've got it for me. Okay. Big pressure. I won't sleep unless you get this right. Okay. <laughs> How do you get that many writers in a room to deliver what is essentially a pretty simple concept? bring dad back and do it in a way with that many competing narratives Mm -hmm. and competing ideas. And let's be frank about what writers are. And mostly it's egotistical in some manner. Fair. Yeah. And get something. There's even times when we write, Matt, where I'm just like, like, no, my way you're right. Yeah. It's just right. And that's two, Mm -hmm. not, not full. And we're like hacks. We're not even a list guys or B list guys. We're like, I think, I think I do have the answer. I think you, and I think you said it. I think they, they put that on like a whiteboard and it was like, this is what the, this is what it's about. Mm -hmm. Now we can do a bunch of crazy stuff to get that, but that doesn't change. And I think that's the key to it. You know what I mean? I wonder. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I wonder if in the room, the mantra that they signed the contract is you need to remember Mm -hmm that the answer is make it simpler, not more complex. Do you know who taught me that? I can't tell you I live it because I don't, but I'd like to I'd like to say that I live it. Yeah. Greg Maddox, pitcher for the Braves and the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Greg Maddox used to struggle in the first inning. Matter of fact, a lot of those Braves guys did. But Greg Maddox would say when he was having a you hard that, time. Brett? From, He's a Braves fan. Is he? <laughs> yeah. What's up, Brett? <laughs> Go Islanders. When Greg Maddox couldn't find the strike zone or was struggling or getting hit, he said, most guys tell me throw harder because the competitive nature kicks in. You're like, I'm just going to throw this through the bat. Mm -hmm. He said he purposely took 20% off what he threw and threw softer until he could relocate it. Essentially make it easier. God, what a concept (laughs) it's. And that in itself is so simple. I'll that say, we just discard it. And you know what? Go to school on that across the board. No, man. I'll say that too. I was like, uh, Kevin Feige's kind of found his way into that avenue too, just with a license and IP. You know what I mean? Right. So, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. It's It's been fun talking about this. I have some questions for you now. Okay. Uh-oh. What's your favorite tasting note of Onward? 
You mean, okay. I love the characterization of the support characters. Mm-hmm. The Manticore and mom's new boyfriend, the centaur, are bit players in this movie, but do such a good job of rounding out the ideas that this movie is centered on. That is... Well, the centaur's got a big ass and he just bumps into everything that he hits. <laughs> right. How out of place these characters are in this very civilized suburban world, but how they have to find a way to make it work. There, there you go. How do you bring dad back through magic and make that work? Like that is the th- one of many themes we could deride from this film, but the one that I'm choosing to use for this answer, what's yours? It's the end sequence. It's Ian stuck in the rubble, watching the moment between Barley and dad, like just the, the staging of it all is just, it's, it's, it's how I would want to do it. You know what I mean? Well, I don't want to tell you this cause I feel like I've said this a lot in the last weeks, but I'm a mess in that scene. Yeah. The first time I saw this, I like after I finished seeing um, Unbreakable 2, come on, help me out here. Glass? Split. After I saw oh, Split, Splash. I called you immediately and said, you have to see this. After I saw this film, I immediately called my brother and said, you got to go right now. Yeah. And this viewing, same kind of thing. I'm not going to say that I didn't need a couple Kleenex. It well, means, it's, it's, it, it, it's poignant and meaningful to me. It's restraint filmmaking. It's it's understanding that your audience knows how these moments can play out yeah. without needing to show it. And I and I like that. That's the power of, of filmmaking to me is being able to do it differently uh but still conveying the same message. It's 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 how I would want to do it. You know what I mean? I've seen I that do. I've seen that shower I've seen that scene a million times. I don't get to see it as often from the background. Well said. What's the oh my moment of onward okay i'm gonna admit to you okay when he's crossing the bridge of trust and the rope falls off Mm -hmm. i'd forgotten all about that because it's been a while since i've seen it yeah i was hanging on a little bit 2020 was four years rolled into one gay man (laughs) jeez (laughs) ava was sitting next to me and we're hanging on to each other a little bit like again i I knew he was gonna make it Mm because he have to whereas some movies maybe there's some doubt but I was into it enough to kind of hanging on, be hanging on a little bit. So that's what I'm going to go. That's with. good. Mine's going to be it's that uh, that second argument right there in front of the school, and he's like, when he could just let them have it, and it's just like we wasted all this time when mm-hmm. we could have had it sooner and spent all this time with that. It's the moment in any Disney movie that kind of just wrecks me to my core, which is like, it's the call out moment, is what I'll call it. It's just like calling someone out on the decision making that they've made up into this moment. Uh, that really changes the course of those characters' relationship until the eventual reversal recognition coming up. <laughs> Look, I want to say that that's a great choice, revealing a person's inner conflict or their sins in a way that's organic to the film and then solving them in not two and a half hours, but like an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. is such a delicate art. And it happens in most Disney movies, and I think it pays off well because you know it's going to have... A happily ever after ending because it is Disney. Like Disney movies aren't ending like seven. <laughs> Just like right. t- trauma for, for everyone involved. They're going to tie it up nicely to make those moments pay off. So that that's going to be my, like, I like that moment's always just uncomfortable for me in, in any of those, these types of movies. So who's the master distiller on onward. I'm going to give it to Chris Pratt. I think his voice acting is superb in this, although he's accompanied by a very capable cast Mm -hmm. of other supporting great voice actors. 
maybe it's the Guardians and the Peter Quill bit that sort of fits the Barley character. We got to do those movies too. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? Yeah. So we've done a Marvel film. Mm-hmm. Well, we got some Marvel stuff coming up, hopefully. <laughs> we do. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Chris Pratt. It's There's good. a lot of choices. I'm going to use him. I'll give it to Tom Holland. Okay. He's an interesting, just because like anytime I hear his name, I mean, he like this, this kid's in kid. He's 22. Uh, does sound like a kid though. He does. And maybe that's part of the charm of him too. Mm-hmm. He's in everything, whether it's Spider-Man, this, uh, he's got a new one coming out called chaos walking and he's doing uncharted, which is finally going to happen. No. Yeah. No, that I don't believe that, but okay. Well, good. no, I've already seen a photo of him as Nathan Drake. So awesome. Mark Wahlberg finally gave it up, huh? Or is he producing it now? No, he's in it too. He's, he's, he's Sully. Wow. Okay, um, cool. it's going to be fun. He's interesting to me. I mean, and he's, and he's very capable. I mean, I think our agreement is like, we like him. He's a good actor as Spider-Man. We just don't like the Spider-Man he's playing. Mm. Uh, there's some just issues there, but um, yeah, I'm going to give it to him. This is kind of, like you said, it's his movie. We got to kind of feel his plight and his uh, hero's journey. And I think he does it well. I mean, his voice fits animated films to a T. Can we give an honorable mention to Octavia Spencer as the Manticore? I'll give an honorable mention to Octavia Spencer any day of the week because, man, this is crazy. So have you seen Ma? Yeah, Ma's great. Is it? Okay. It's not great, great, but it's like for her like to like. Octavia Spencer is lesser Claude Rains before. Oh, my God. I was just going to say, are we going down the Claude Rains path here? I love I, it. I saw two movies in the last couple of weeks. Uh, one was Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence mm-hmm. and then SWAT. Yep, I've seen Blue Streak. Actually, and, I've seen both those and with o- Sam Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And Octavia Spencer has, she was the cameo girl. You're right. She had just these bit scenes Blue in both of those movies. Yeah. Spider-Man. She's the person that signs up the human spider at the wrestling match. <laughs> yeah. And I loved that. Like, I think it was the help was like when the, like they finally like threw her a little more than just like a line. Mm-hmm. She went to fucking Oscar. Yeah. You know what I mean? And deserve it. And whether it's that and then Ma or Fruitville Station or this film, I'm glad that she's getting her due because how many, like, essentially extras get to make it? You know what I mean? Hidden figures too, right? Oh, I forgot that one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to her, like, okay, let's, as a very, very strong honorable mention here. Good choice. Yeah, you too. Excellent. How are you going to rate and grade onward? Single barrel to top shelf minus. Super unique as all Pixar films are. And like, as everyone knows, that's where the criteria starts for the single barrel piece to me is the uniqueness. That's the cask and the wood in that particular cask, not to be blended with anything else. I have to admit to you, the whole goblins and dragons and all that shit kind of leaves me cold. Like, I don't love it. And I know this is blasphemy to a lot of people, but I kind of hated Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of not. I hated Game of Thrones. Except for the Red Witch. I liked her a lot, but... Well, a lot of people hated the last season, so... <laughs> I, it just doesn't work for me. As as much as we talked about a discovery of witches seems mm-hmm. to work. Like, I can do the horror pieces, but I can't do that. Elves and goblins and magical shields and all that. Just, it's a that's no. a bridge too far for me, but not in this film. So, if that's usually I'm jumping off and I don't want any piece of that, but I'm willing to do this film twice... This mm-hmm. is time two. Mm-hmm. That's a very strong vote. 
Yeah, top shelf to a single single barrel to top shelf minus somewhere in between those two. You had a really good statement, and I hope you do it again right now, which is your ranking of Pixar's. And I think I've never thought about it that way, but I would echo the sentiment. So I guess I just set you up to do it. Well, I do a, I do a lot of things, whether it's Alfred Hitchcock, John Carpenter, Star Wars. Like this is how I like rank things. It's it's in tiers. Denver Bronco football seasons. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's a good one. Thanks, oh. Matt. <laughs> Not so, Got to know the good to know the bad. Exactly. You stick with it. But uh, I think we should do an AFC West podcast someday. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think Pixar finds itself in tiers as well. Mm -hmm. There's the kind of bad to pretty atrocious. There's the middle of the road, which is, yeah, pretty good, but like, yeah, I'm all right. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the great, great. There's like the stuff that's like, oh my God. The Incredibles. This is an animated film. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this is Toy Story 3, like this, like those type of movies. Uh, This one is kind of how I've rated it. Maybe I'll rate all three films this way. <laughs> uh, it's it's in the middle on the outside looking in. Like it's close to kind of getting into that camp, but maybe I need to watch it more. Uh, maybe it's just the world is a little too, like you said, a little too out there for like the buy-in. Save that first half of the third act that you don't love. If that's better, we're probably there though, huh? Yeah. So how you equate that, it'd probably be a call plus single barrel minus. Okay. I really, I really like this. I was glad we, we decided to cover this one, a 2020 release yeah. and, uh, and kind of dive into it. There was a lot of things I liked about it, especially the, like the last 10 minutes of it. I was really on board with good. Well, there was some stuff I kind of checked out with, but yeah, on the outside looking in it, this one's like close for them, but, um, yeah, we'll call it at that. Cheers to Onward. Let's wrap this thing up with a nightcap. thing i don't know if i'm gonna be like humming that it's good in the movie but like i'm not it's like not enough to latch in my brain to like remember that that's no fault to the movie i mean that happens with music sometimes you hans zimmer snob yeah i hans zimmer snob (laughs) uh the nightcap this week i mean whether it be tom holland or chris pratt i mentioned the cartoony aspects to actors pentameter to like make live action or animated films come to life and They've had a cadre of actors work with them, whether it's Tom Hanks or Billy Crystal or Albert Brooks, Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, they've had so many great actors kind of come through their um, their animation studio. Who's an actor that hasn't yet played with them that you'd like to see in one of their films? Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. I love this guy's voice. He might have been in a Pixar film. I, I, I looked a little bit. I don't think he has. But I want to talk about the role first. Okay. And it's a Pixar version of semi-hard-boiled cop. So think like Nick Wilde, but a bit more on the noir side. Okay. And I want it to be like a raccoon-type looking character. <laughs> and I want it to be Liev Schreiber. That'd be pretty good. I love the bass tones in his voice, whether it's Hard Knocks or that really amazing series that if anybody hasn't seen that superhero series that he did for PBS, that is just killer. I remember that. Yeah. That's such a good series. Ray Donovan. Love it. Mm -hmm. Except for the last season. (laughs) Good choice. I want Liev Schreiber. That's good. He's got great pipes, doesn't he? I forgot he did uh, the last season of hard knocks. 
Yeah, it's pretty forgettable. <laughs> For you, maybe. Go, uh, go Chargers. Good, or? good. No, good choice. Thank you. I like him. He's kind of a dark horse. He's kind of Claude's Rainsy. <laughs> Can't you see him as some Disney noir detective guy? Raccoon detective. I want to see. <laughs> if we could sort of do the reverse of Jessica Rabbit with him as the animated detective and like championing the cause of like Marion Cutyard. So like flip the animated roles. Man, I'm there opening night. That's awesome. Or actually not even, if I'm going to play it out, let's go with my go-to on this that doesn't make enough movies and that's Mrs. Blake Lively. Yeah. So good. All good right. choice. Thanks, man. I want to hear yours. Uh, well, well, my choice, like so like 20 minutes before you came over, I, I went and double-checked to see if my choice had done a Pixar movie and he had... It's okay. You can still use it. So no, I'm gonna. I, I have a backup, but it was Bruce Campbell. Um, what he? What did he do? Cars two. And I was like, oh. I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? It was like, but that guy has such like a unique cartoony voice. I was like, I'd love to see him voice like one of these lead characters. Like he'd be so good, so good at it. In uh, your hierarchy of, I, I don't mean to hijack this. No, but go I have ahead. To ask you forget. In your hierarchy of the Pixar stuff, where's the Cars stuff? Oh, I thought it's at the bottom. Don't the like first, the first time I saw. Cars, this is hilarious, was in high school in a Spanish class. So it wasn't even in English. It was in Spanish. And so I didn't even know what the hell was going on. But Cars Land in Disneyland is pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't love those either, but that is a great, great place in Disneyland. But I have a backup. Okay. And to kind of piggyback on the actors that were on this one, it's a guy with another uniquely recognizable set of chops. And it's Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. So... Put him in. Cast him, yeah, for me. Cast him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I have a noirish thing for you, but like him playing like opposite, like a sage, like a sage character in some ad, like a, adventure, learning the ropes, Pixar story. Yeah, I'd really like that. I think that'd be pretty good. The other one I kicked around for a minute was Dustin Hoffman. Mm. I'm not sure what. Maybe the aged professor at a school. I don't want uh, Commander Frank Slade. <laughs> kind of levels. I know that's Al Pacino, but I don't yeah, want yeah. that. I like. I don't want that aggro. I want mm-hmm. stranger than fiction like Dustin Hoffman. Mm. I think he could play. But um, man, I love that. I hadn't thought about Robert. Like I, I'm embarrassed. I didn't even think about him. I tried to think of people that like, because that's kind of the the trick, isn't it? Like that. Like they cast these people, and you kind of pick up on their on their on their voice a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes not. Sometimes it do, it really doesn't matter, and it's still good. So from the research that I did on Black Widow, he's in it for a little bit. But now that he's not Iron Man anymore, there's a whole opening in his schedule. Well, there's a billion movies I'd love to see him in that aren't Iron Man because the guy is a talented actor. I wonder what's next. Yeah. I mean, you you take it back to like Chaplin. Zodiac and Less Chaplin. Than zero. Uh, Less than zero. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Keep going. The guy's good. Um, Did you ever see Fur? No. Oh, my God. You got to see that. That one's good. It's Nicole Kidman, and he like is kind of like a werewolf, but not a werewolf. Just this very hairy. You got to see it. I have this like fantasy in my head that like if I were ever to run into Robert Downey Jr. and have a conversation with him, I wouldn't talk about any of the Marvel stuff. I would bring up Back to School. <laughs> Shit, I forgot he's even in that. He's so he's good. the sidekick. Huh? Yeah, he's Keith Gordon's sidekick. He's like idiot sidekick. He's like existential like art student friend. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, isn't he a bit player in Weird Science, too? Mm-hmm. One of the guys at the mall? Yep. Robert Downey Jr. is a really good choice, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want to see, even Sherlock Holmes, like, I want to see that guy, like, cut his teeth on, like, not, like, 
not that he wasn't great as Iron Man, but like when you commit to that, like you're locked in. But now that you're not locked in, man, go go do it. That's good. That's really good. This was fun, Matt. This was sure fun was. to talk about Onward and Pixar Animation Studio. Um, I want to talk about in the coming episodes just more about the studio in general because it was like a kind of like a Steve Jobs thing, actually, like how it started out. Cool. And then like how they their animated shorts uh, kind of leapt into doing Toy Story. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about the studio. But coming up next week, another... Uh, just winner for them. And again, talking about unique worlds and just things that like we don't get to see, but then culturally representing, you know, a faction that like we don't get to see often in screen, especially in Pixar. We're going to talk about Coco. Mm, I can't wait. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Like Dia de los Muertos and the underworld and what Mexico looks like in that film and the music is it's incredible Top notch. this music this movie looks amazing Agreed. so you're gonna come over and watch this one i actually own this on 4k and it looks, it looks great awesome can't wait sweet cheers matt cheers jesse cheers i gotta get going i'm gonna go to the to the to the fast food joint down the road here and i'm gonna get me some of that second breakfast <laughs> as long as it's not served by a manticore because that's more gimmick than it is quality I got to say this, you know, like we have these quippy anecdotes at the end of the thing. I literally come up with them the second my mouth opens. <laughs> like, You're good at it. You're on fire tonight. I don't like pre come up with those. And I literally have a freak out moment when it comes to that moment. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And then I just I just say whatever's at the forefront of my brain at that moment. So. Off script, but on script in my mind real quick, a shout out to my homie Brad Schaefer. I know you're listening and we appreciate you, dog. Thank you. We should have him on the show one of these days. It's already been discussed. It's going to happen. Awesome. Well, cheers to you all. Hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Leave us any reviews on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. We appreciate all the feedback, all the insight, and keep sharing it with all your friends. Godspeed and onward, everybody. Have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. And if you want to leave us some more comments or feedback, hit us up on any of our social media platforms or at Productions at gmail.com. Onward is property of Pixar Animation Studios and Walt Disney Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, Cheers. He also said he's very proud of the person you grew up to be. Well, I owe an awful lot of that to you. He kind of said that too. Oh, and he told me to give you this.